0: want to make an argument that Ween is the greatest band of all time. Uh, of course, the band Ween formed in the 80s. Bunch of, uh, well, two. Two high school friends, Aaron Freeman and Mickey Melchiondo, in New Hope, Pennsylvania. They met in a typing class, and they had similar taste in music, and they started jamming together releasing little cassette albums uh the crucial squeegee lip one was called you know very funny stuff very funny stuff that if if you've ever listened to the early weed cassette tapes they're very rough they're very raw but also very endearing because they were like 16 years old and uh i i think that's you know the The quality of Ween that I... Obviously, Ween is not the greatest band of... No band is the greatest band of all time. (laughs) Wanting to name a band the greatest band of all time is a fool's errand. There's no criteria. It is subjective. Oh, by sales, by influence. You can't measure influence. If you measured, you know, greatness by sales, then that's, you know, very shallow, you know. Uh, But so greatest as I'm defining it, as my favorite, or the band that is greatest to me, or the band that probably most represents my outlook and how I feel. The music that I would make uh, if I could make music. Uh, Well, I do make music, but uh, my music, it sounds a lot like weed very frequently. So (laughs) there you go. Um, But, uh, yeah, so I I think they are the greatest in that respect, uh, in that they are my favorite, <laughs> uh, because of a couple of factors. One was something that I already mentioned, is that relatability. To me, they are a band that I, I feel like I have shared their experiences, uh, especially those first three albums, and especially their demo tapes, sort of, uh, if you're a sensitive kid, if you're if you're a music kid in high school and you're making your shitty little rock tapes, you know, I I was doing this. I was doing this like ween and then they became, you know, they eventually stuck with it and became, you know, big indie heroes. So it's like it's like if you had stuck with it and became like a big uh, indie hero, you had stuck with your, your weird jokey little songs that you made in your bedroom and were not very good, but, you know, you just kept on working at it and kept promoting yourself and were just so boundlessly creative and driven that, uh, you know, you eventually turned those, uh, turn those little works into masterpieces, into genre-spanning masterpieces. So, It is that relatability factor, especially the first three albums, which are God Ween, Satan, uh, The Pod, and Pure Guava. And they have sort of a lo-fi production quality, a very homemade quality, even though they were produced in studios. They were produced by, I believe, Andrew Weiss, who was of Rollins Band, who was also the bassist for a lot of it, called Mean Ween, good old Mean Ween. Um, but, um, they do have a homemade quality. There's, you know, uh, lots of woogly synths, lots of overdriven, heavily overdriven guitar, you know, outtakes that are kept in, uh, they're giggling, but that lends to that homemade or intimate quality. Like, this was something that was made just for them and their friends, and somehow it got out. But it was, you know, it it was so compelling or it was so uh, well composed or so genuinely funny at some points Um, or, you know, so harrowingly, you know, just relatable, as I said before. And I guess where that relatability comes from is those albums in particular really emotionally articulate what it's like to be from somewhere where there's not a lot going on. And you're just, you're sort of like a doughy, you know, medium attractive, not really attractive dude. And you're in a place that sucks like New Hope, Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, or you're just in some sort of sleepy suburb. You're in some sort of, uh, exurb. You're in some sort of, you know, uh, place where it's just hard to access any culture. But, you know, what's more is that looming in the distance is Philadelphia or New York, some great font of culture, and, you know, you're just always tantalizingly close to being there, but uh, you never, you can never get there because you're just kicking the can, you don't have the means to get out of this sort of one-horse town, or at least it really feels like it in, in, like, your early 20s or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, just being a dirt bag, just kicking the dirt around in a, in a forgotten or lonely place, you know, with you and your small amount of friends and you're doing a lot of drugs because you, you know, you lack a sense of direction uh, <laughs> that like, there is no fucking fighter music that captures that very specific feeling that I think a ton of us have been through that everybody that... You know, most people I talk to, that is their existence. They grow up in sort of a lonely place, where it's hard to, uh, you know, meet people. There are very few options for entertainment. You sort of are just driving around everywhere. You know, you're ordering the pollo asado. You know, it's really <laughs> you're 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 ordering the pork roll, egg and cheese. Your life is centered around junk food. You know, you're. <laughs> Uh, you know, you're going to get drugs from your friend, the reggae junkie Jew. You know, I knew a reggae junkie Jew. I I bought drugs from a reggae junkie Jew. It, I, it was like they were, I these. This is what it's like, just being sort of like a, a, a drug doing dirtbag. They they know it. They know it intimately. Uh. <laughs> uh. So yeah, I think that's that's what I really like about the pod. You know, forget sunny day real estate, you know, forget freaking, uh, you know, forget freaking the Arcade Fire, the suburbs, you know, I, I, once again, I, I choose to hate on Arcade Fire, I choose to indulge my hater mentality and say, fuck that band, fuck that stupid band, the suburbs, oh, everyone's sad, and it's all so epic, and the planes are soaring and there's big ass reverb and we're all teenagers at the end of the world. You know, I know that's not how the song goes, but yeah, it, or, or, you know, like, or even Green Day's, you know, rock opera, American idiot version of it. This, like, there is an aggrandizement, which is like, well, at once you want to aggrandize your life in the suburbs, you want to turn, uh, your, your terrible life into, not your terrible life, but just your mundane life, your crushingly mundane life, and, you know, this sense that things are slowly getting worse, you know, uh, you want to translate that into, you know, a big epic, you know, Jesus of suburbia, or, like, a, a big, you know, epic arcade fire, the suburbs, but, uh, really what it is, it's it's just dismal and boring and mundane and sort of funny and stupid. And that's that's why I like Ween, because it acquaints you more with reality. It doesn't take you out of it. It doesn't try to, you know, uh, offer you a fantasy version of it. It, in fact, even says, don't get too close to my fantasy. <laughs> but uh uh, yeah i i think that's what i like about and you know the other band that i mention a lot is my favorite band is the Minutemen. another band of guys from like a lonely weird place san pedro who you know uh, just sort of drove around a lot in fact their big album is just about driving (laughs) because that's all you could do when you're, you're in these sort of isolated situations um and uh they also, I feel, because they had that whole Wee Jam Akano mentality, they produced a music that was less about showing reality and blowing it up into something that enhanced it, but rather just depicting it in a way that seemed like it actually was. You know, it, it they that was this was the sound of mundanity. But because it's, you know, it's composed well and because it's melodic and because uh, great arrangements, you know, it's made listenable. You know, this mundanity is accentuated but not fantasized, I suppose, which is the quality of of Ween and the Minutemen that I really liked. And it made it more believable. I mean, eventually, you know, Ween would become a little more uh, grandiose. Uh, and I would say, you know, their best album of all time is probably their most grandiose album. That's that's Quebec, of course. But um, I think how they initially hook you, um, I mean, the first Ween album I heard was Chocolate and Cheese. And I thought that album was good. I liked that album a lot, but... When I finally got to hearing the earlier ones, especially Godwin Satan, I was like, "Okay, this is these are people that know everything that I've I've ever thought and been through because they too have experienced all this real dumb stuff." I mean, chocolate and cheese is great on its own, but um, it, um, it somehow the first three albums all managed to be. Uh, little concept albums even though they're not intended as such but it's just uh in my head i call it the new hope trilogy (laughs) because it's uh, those uh those albums are really about um being in a fucking small town and like uh, like huffing ether or like or like doing nitrous through a weird mask that you made (laughs) and like uh, looking at the glue traps in your kitchen and spacing out for a while. Uh, so let's, let's talk about them in more depth. You know, let's go into the, uh, I want to, I want to review all their studio albums. Just talk about all their studio albums in a row. I'm not going to talk about their live albums, which are all really good. Uh, I might talk about, Might talk about Shinola or Craters of the Sack. Who knows? We'll see when we get there. Uh but yeah, so you have the uh first three albums. Uh Godwin Satan the Oneness, The Pod, and Pure Guava. So let's go to let's go to Godwin Satan the Oneness. This is their very first album. They're like I think they're like twenty years old when they make this, which is just crazy that uh, uh You know, you should hear the, people think this is rough sounding. You know, you should hear the music that I made at age 20. You know, (laughs) it definitely sounds a lot rougher. Uh, And the quality of this as well is, uh, you know, it's part of it, that sort of uh, tinny, as some would describe it. There's a sort of tinny quality to it, sort of very trebly. Uh, sounding Uh, but I like that I I like that it it has this sort of fly or buzzing like quality I think it sort of adds to it in a way because it adds to that um, homemade quality but uh, people have described it as a smorgasbord before and it is indeed a smorgasbord Uh, just lots and lots of material tons of unforgettable unforgettable melodies And, uh, uh, like, don't laugh, I love you. (laughs) Don't (laughs) laugh. It's a great song. It's a great song, Don't Laugh, I Love You. Uh, never squeal on a pusher. Don't lie to your mama. Just do as you want and It'll be all right. That's something that I repeat to myself day after day after day. Uh, But also, I I guess I say unforgettable melodies. There there are plenty of forgettable melodies on here. It's like... Uh, it's a very rough format. A lot of the songs feel like, uh, half finished, but that's part of it as well. That's what makes it beautiful that these are sort of fragmentary ideas. Um, and they just keep varying it up and they keep changing on you over and over and over again. Um, even, even at this early stage, they have that sonic diversity, you know, you have you fucked up the first song, which is an amazing way to start your, your career. You fucked up, you bitch. You really fucked up, <laughs> which, you know, I don't know. I don't know if they would get a uh, clown for misogyny these days. I'm, a lot of their songs definitely, uh, are of their era and feature a sense of humor that, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think they're, I don't think they were trying to hurt anybody or anything like that. But uh, I, you could probably get away with this stuff. Who, do, who am I kidding? You know, I don't, I don't think people would take much issue with what they say. But um, one time I, uh, I, I, because of you fucked up, they said, you fucked up, you fucking Nazi whore. You know, one time I, I tried to, I, I called someone a Nazi whore on Facebook and then someone chastised me for using the word whore and i was like oh there that's what happens you know that's it uh, whatever though uh, <laughs> it's that was it's funny <laughs> um i know they're a nazi but should you really be calling them a whore <laughs> It's, it's funny. um and then they immediately vary it up with Tick, which is sort of this uh, rigid, uh, divo uptempo up-tempo punk number as opposed to that uh, dismal uh, crust punk that just came in before. And then you get track number three, I'm in the mood to move this textural piece, which is just made up of like a bass line and slowed down voices, which, of course, you know, slowed down and sped up voices become a staple of Ween. They contribute to the comedy. The Wonderful Comedy. Um, I guess that's something that I can also get into. While we're on the first album, of course, Ween is associated with with comedy, right? And there's lots of musical acts that incorporate uh, humor into the the song craft. Some are known more than others for it. Of course, you have people like Frank Zappa, who is known for being a funny guy? Of course, uh, Weird Al Yankovic is specifically comedy music, and there is a small subgenre of uh, stuff that is comedy music, like Flight of the Concords. But I think uh, Weird Al Yankovic and Flight of the Conchords, there is a, d- a detachment to it. It'd be—I mean, I'm sure there's tons of people that have had like really strong emotional reactions <laughs> To Flight of the Concords, which is really fun. Flight of the Concords is my favorite band of all time. I I cried so much the first time I heard Hip Hop Hopotamus. It was like they were speaking directly to. I'm sure somebody has felt that way about Weird Al Yankovic. Like, I'm sure, you, like, I mean, UHF is a comfort movie for me, but not not because it provokes any. Actually, it does, you know, it does sort of provoke an emotional response in me, but I, I think it's mostly nostalgia. Uh, but, um,. Yeah, it'd be funny if someone has like a really strong emotional relationship to a Weird Al Yankovic album, you know, besides you know, just appreciating it for being funny. Um, I could see, you know, Frank Zappa asks you to take him seriously a lot more, or asks you to take his ideas seriously, but, uh, and while there are lots of emotional moments in Frank Zappa albums, I think he does carry himself with a certain detachment, which, um, comes through a lot in his music. He sort of keeps you at an arm's length, and there is sort of, um, uh, there is sort of uh, eschewing an emotional quality of his music more for an intellectual quality, which is, I think, why people had, like, uh, people like Lou Reed, who were nothing but, you know, pure emotion. I mean, they were very intellectual as well, but, you know, this guy that, I think, his idea of good music was, like raw rawness, we need to whatever raw is. We're trying to get to that, and he saw Frank Zappa as as the opposite of that. And so, I, I love Zappa though, you know. I think Zappa is fucking great. But Ween, on the other hand, even though their stuff is pastiche, and even though it's jokes, they still mean it, which is very interesting, you know. Because, you know, what are you supposed to express if you are just like? A goofy guy? You know, what if the, the way that you show emotion, what if the way that you show depth and, and relatability and vulnerability is through humor, <laughs> you know, which is fucked up because humor is supposed to diffuse stuff. It is supposed to keep people at arm's length. Uh, it's not supposed to, uh, you know, endear you or bind you to people in the same way that, you know something that is dramatic or sad or has to be taken seriously can do but i think we can succeed in this because if i were to really investigate how i feel is i i do i am funny <laughs> or like i i don't know if i am funny who knows if i am funny but you know my my inner thoughts are are just really fucking goofy a lot of the time really goofy and stupid a lot of the time <laughs> So, you know, what if that is just the emotional quality that is constantly surrounding me? And so what I can relate to or how I relate to other emotions is through that goofy stupidness, you know, and it's nice to have someone like Ween where you uh, you can explore these other emotional tenors, but through your initial understanding of the world, which is of this sort of mundane stupidness. And, you know, no other band is, is brave enough to be stupid. You know, all other bands are presenting themselves as, oh, look at us, we're the big rock stars. You know, we're, we're sexy and we're larger than life and we do everything. But we are just guys, they're you. <laughs> they're, at least, I mean, they're me, you know, they're, and, and tons of people like me. But they feel as if, you know, some some people just got up on stage and we're really good. There's no larger-than-life quality. There is always an intimacy to them that yeah, um, I think is irreplaceable. And which you don't get out of a lot of other bands, especially ones who reach their levels of success. I think there's still a weird level of intimacy. I guess that's why they, they get pigeonholed with the jam band uh, people, because I think that's why people really like jam bands, too. It's like, no matter how big Fish gets... It just seemed like a bunch of guys, you know, it seems like you could, you could go up to Trey Anastasio and not be intimidated by him and be like, Hey Trey, it's like, Hey, I'm just a guy, you know, I play guitar in, a, in this bank outfit. you know, um, and I think that is the quality of the jam bands that uh, attracts the audience. It does. There is a sort of, uh, you'd have to be unpretentious to like jam bands. So, you know, that's the quality of it to begin with, you know, um, and I, I think, you know, Ween often plays the jam band circuit, even though eh, I guess they, they do jam. But uh, the, the thing about most jam bands is their, their studio albums are supposed to be terrible and their live albums or their live performances is the real experience, you know. But with Ween, uh, their studio material matches up with their live material. Uh, their live material is really good. Uh, I've seen I've seen them live a couple of times, and uh, they always put on a great show. They do really great reinterpretations of stuff. They really do jam out. <laughs> they do jam out a lot. I guess you know maybe their jam band. Reputation is warranted, but who cares? Who cares? Is it really so embarrassing? There's an episode of my catalog in the back catalog of this podcast called "In Defense of Fish." You can watch it. We defend fish. Uh, <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, back on track to God, we and Satan after, you know, humor and music and, you know, uh, this talk about how that allows for an unpretentious appreciation of, you know, other, uh, more deeper, uh, and a wider range of emotions through, through this humor. Humor is just the kaleidoscope. Humor is just the lens through which, uh, the gamut of human experience is is uh, watched through by ween. Uh, <clears throat> of course, uh, you know, they they have the Boognish. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Boognish as well, who comes up a lot on this album. The Boognish features a lot more in sort of the early mythology of Ween because that's, you know, something you make up when you're twenty years old. You have your own you have your own little mascot that you make up you have your own little spiritual belief system that you make up because you know you're you do as and you're thinking what if there's a weird guy that ruled the world and he was the boognish and uh the boognish is uh, of course featured on the cover of god ween satan that is that is the image of that and it's a it's a fitting entity to resemble ween sort of this uh, <laughs> what is the quality of the boognish electrified hair like it's constantly excited, a vacant expression gritting its long teeth, uh this is sort of a horrifying nightmare figure, but also excited and wired and, and that is sort of like a good quality of we sort of nightmarish, but very excited to be here, which is which is uh uh something that is lovely, I think. Did Robert Christ... Yeah, Robert Christgau gave this a bomb, which is, you know, I do not care for Robert Christgau. I think he's a loser. I think he's a loser myself, and he doesn't know what's good. Uh, no, he, he's got some good opinions. Well, everyone has different opinions. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you got fat Lenny. <laughs> I, I'll just start listing all the tracks. That's what I'll start doing. Um, but, um. On some songs, you can hear their talent for melody developing, uh, for, like, composing, like, what I would, like, almost, like, Beatles-esque quality, like, Paul McCartney melodies they eventually got really, really good at. And you can hear that on songs like Birthday Boy on this album, which is still, like, a, a huge song they play at their their live sets it's very featured because it's got a great melody yeah great great song um a lot of this uh is about women <laughs> i recognize it's probably with just what they were writing about what they were going through i mean that is the quality of being sort of like a dirt bag in a lonely place you're just you know talking about nicole or nan or stacy <laughs> Or a common bitch, or you fucked up, you bitch. So there is a lot of uh, uh, sort of pining over pining over women in this album, but I think that is the that is the quality of being a dirtbag. Maybe that's what does. I don't think Robert Christgau ever experienced this. He probably, he didn't experience the, like what it was like just being sort of like a shitty misshapen guy. I mean, he is a misshapen guy, but. Uh, he probably, you know, spent his child in curls, you know, licking a very large lollipop. And, you know, I don't think he had this New Hope Pennsylvania upbringing or sort of avoided it. Um, (laughs) but yeah, if the songs aren't about women, they're about, uh, doing drugs. Uh, they're about, uh... (laughs) What what is Squelch the Weasel about? What is Marlop Tulip Juicy Tree about? I still don't know, but yeah. The, um, so yeah, drugs and just tr- trying to get laid and being weird and paranoid. <laughs> all of these feature into the first Ween album, which you know is an album for the sort of uh, pathetic twenty-year-old in all of us, the eternal. Pathetic, but wired and excited, but nightmarish little 20-year-old in all of us. And uh, I truly love it for that. I don't think anything captures that feeling better. Um, uh, on an episode of Chapo Trap House, probably the, the, their most famous episode, the one that is off-quoted, is the Hot Couch Guy episode, where Felix talks about the phenomena of a hot couch guy, a, a person whose house you go to. And uh, their uh, their couch is really hot, <laughs> and you, you the, the, for some reason you're always hanging out there, and you know there. Uh, listen to that episode. It, it's a very vivid description of of a type of person that everybody knows or may have been. And you know, I think I was a hot couch. I think a lot of us were hot couch guys, and I I think there there is no better. <laughs> ween is ween is music for hot couch guys (laughs) which i probably must admit that i am um you know this is this is a years old chava this is five years old I'm, i'm really dating myself at this point but i'm also dating myself by enjoying a band from 30 years ago talking an album about talking about an album from 33 years ago made a year after i was born but still it resonated you know it took 20 years for me to become 20. And it was the same experience that they were articulating. Um, it, and it, so if Godwin Satan has this sort of energetic, high, highly energetic quality to it, uh, the pod uh, is dismal and, and fucked up and, and sad. And, you know, you're really, you've stopped having the excitement of youth and you are, descending into your adulthood and you are just realizing what is ahead of you and you're not dealing with it well and so your life just becomes about pleasure seeking by doing a lot of drugs (laughs) and and uh you know having these really slow mundane almost ambient experiences um and getting into these sort of manic states, you know, part of, part of this album is, um, another thing that I want to comment on throughout all of Ween is, uh, Gene Ween's voice. Something that Aaron Freeman, something that Gene Ween will do, that some other vocalists will do, but not to the extent that he does, is literally change his voice. He'll, like, do a British accent, or he'll do, like, a a Scottish accent or he'll do like he will have a high quality singing voice or he'll have an emotional sort of crooner voice or he'll have like uh, uh, a high pitched tinny punk voice. You know, he's, he's got like a a thousand of them. He's very, uh, and uh, it's, it's strange to me that more vocalists don't try and do that. I guess because it is associated with humor because that sort of mimicry is associated with the, the bass comedy instinct you know it is to be avoided but I really do think even in these early albums when they're not working with a lot and instrumentation doesn't vary from song to song because Gene Ween changes his voice so much uh, to different timbres I I think it is uh, it really makes every song that much more unique and interesting Um, of course Dean Wien was equally capable of doing that with the guitar but uh, uh, there is there is a, a very distinct Dean Ween guitar sound uh, that usually features from track to track as well. Although, um, yeah, I, 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 a huge part of why just Ween sounds so different from song to song is because of Gene Ween's vocal changing, and I wanted to call attention to that. So, uh, God Ween's Satan opens up with, You fucked up! Really high energy. How does... How does the pot open them? Strap on that jammy pack. Yeah, it's the most languorous, you know, I've just done a bunch of nitrous and I'm making a song and this is it. Uh, and uh, the the recording quality is even rougher than the first album, because I think this album, they really just did record it themselves in, like, a single room, where they had studio time in the first album. Uh, this album, it was just on, like, a four-track or something like that off of cassette tapes, and and it sounds like it, but that's it's fucking... It sounds fucking great to my ears, you know? To my ears, that sort of woogly, fuzzy... Uh, Especially because it's on, it has that tape quality. It has that analog hiss. That sort of, uh, you know, I I like the sound of analog hiss better than digital hiss. Sue me, sue me. You know, the songs I make contain a lot of digital hiss, and I hate it. But I don't want to. I don't want to deal with tapes, so I deal with it. But um, yeah, there there is a very slow downers quality to this album um and a really depressing quality um you know i was talking about stuff you couldn't do today i mentioned pollo asado earlier which is just gene ween doing doing a racist mexican voice and ordering (laughs) ordering food but god help me it makes me laugh because i i felt like that i think we've all felt like pollo asado i think we've all been in a fucking mexican restaurant and it's really hot, and it's like the fluorescent light is shimmering, and it's really late at night, and there's a bunch of people there, and you're like a little drunk, and you're ordering the same thing over and over again, or there's someone in front of you, and they're having a really long order, and you're just like staring up, and you can hear the buzzing of the fluorescence, and there's like that ambient quality, like that riff <laughs> that 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 diner is doing in the background. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, that it it captures an emotional quality despite maybe uh, the dated the dated accent. Uh, I I think it still uh, is really good. I think it still re- really just gives attention to a feeling that not a lot of other music gives attention to, which is that sort of waiting around feeling of 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 being in a lonely place of being in the suburbs where that that really is the quality of not much happening where things seem repetitive and slow and uh, the the things that happening are in front of you are sort of surreal in their in their smallness uh, it's just somebody ordering a pollo asado uh, <laughs> with with a mexican accent but because it's so repetitive, and because it's underscored in this way, because it has ascended to the level of art, almost like Duchamp's ready-made, uh, ready-made, you know, it becomes, uh, it becomes accentuated, but never fantasized. You are in that feeling, you are in that restaurant. You are not experiencing the idea of that restaurant blown up to massive size. Yes. Uh, I, I, what are other songs on here that I like? You know, some are, are just, some Ween songs are just, like, looped, uh, uh, which they would eventually, uh, eventually they would just release a whole album of basically these loop songs in Shinola Volume 1, which was outtakes, but, um, you know, uh, they'll have something like The Fucked Jam on Quebec, where they just have these things that are very simple loops, but I, I also sort of like these, uh, they'll have a, a, a track on here is awesome. So going an awesome sound. That's going down. You know, that's, that's the, what they say over and over and over and over again. Uh, and I, I, but I think that also contributes to that quality of that repetitive, uh, just crushing, uh, sort of indistinct quality of living in those lonely places um and this album is a even though there's there's songs about women on it it's much less pining for women and more about uh uh i don't know approaching them in weird like songs like molly yeah it's gone beyond you know wanting women and more about you know just thinking about them in excessively weird ways <laughs> um other than that it's these characters that Gina and deaner inhabit or when when they're in the pod and when they're you know huffing their nitrous oxide from that gas mask on the cover which you know they never actually did but they they tried to think of very dirtbag stuff that they could do What's the most dirtbag possible thing that we could think about when trying to, you know, make this album, which is all about this sort of depressed, druggish, endless quality of lonely suburban living? Uh, and uh, so that's what they came up with. But yeah, in these reveries, in these fantasies, uh, they they go to Dr. They become Dr. Rock or they become The Stallion. This is the first appearance of The Stallion. And it's initial, I am the stallion! I am the stallion! Just a a ranting madman obsessed with himself, which is uh, where you would go to on these reveries. Uh, You become Captain Fantasy, you know? Uh, But, uh, yeah, I think uh, this album is really, really long and can get really, really boring if you don't if you don't have the metal for I love it. This is this is probably my second favorite Wien album of all time, next to Quebec, because I think this is the one that most captures the quality of being young, you don't have any money, you can't go anywhere, your life is just junk food and doing drugs and like watching TV and, like, making little songs, and, and, like, thinking about, thinking about sex in a weird way, and, uh, you know, that's, that's it, you know, <laughs> you know, and that sort of dismal, repetitive, boring, crushing quality is so embodied by this album, um, you know, more so than the first album that I, I, like, I really can't think of another album that, has quite this emotional tenor, or just captures what it's like being an average ex-urban dirt bag so well you know there's nothing like it you know maybe maybe like an insane clown posse record is is one of the things that might come close to that but um yeah at least for me this was this was my experience this was my experience to a t and i don't know I don't know if that's good or not but who cares? Who cares? Um moving on to Pure Guava. Somehow they got a record deal. Um I don't, I shouldn't say somehow. I I know how because Nirvana got big and suddenly everyone was like, "Oh, this indie music is big now. Who can we give who can we give record deals to? We'll give record deals to Ween. And then uh somehow <laughs> I guess not somehow. It's a great little song, but you wouldn't expect it to chart as high as it did. Uh, their, their highest charting single ever, I believe, came from this album, which is Push the Little Daisies. A great song. Uh, has a weird video. Jeans uh, being real cute in it. Dean and Jean being real cute in it. I don't know who the lady is in it, but she's, she seems alright. Uh, uh, features the signature sped-up vocals. Push the little daisies and make a come up. Pushy little decent, but it's not—it's not even the strongest song of the album. Um, but man, this album's actually this album's really good. you know, people don't consider. Yeah, you know, I think all the Ween albums are really good, but just looking at this track list and like how all of these songs stick in my head with the pod, you know, it's sort of hard to recall individual songs. They sort of blend together, but they're really getting there melody chops on you know i mean the song off of this that everyone fucking loves yeah and that either one of one of the stronger songs on the album and sort of a shift from the stallion character which is a song that i assume they probably it, it sounds highly improvised but it's great is the stallion part three mocked in at sudden speed flying into the wind now i'm floating at your feet something like likeness to you now. Oh, no yes <laughs> um this is this album is sort of a return to god ween satan where it's it's a bit more energetic it has less of that sort of crushing depressing feeling but it's still very much about uh it still it still retains the lo-fi quality of the first two albums which is very funny it's super funny to get big label money from Electra and then be like, nah, we're going to make our album sound like the last two ones that we recorded with $5. (laughs) That's such a, that's such a good move, but it worked. They got a, they got a really high charting single. I mean, high charting for them. It charted like 21 in the U S alt stuff, but that was good. You know, that's really good for them, especially, you know, the, in the nineties when people actually bought music, that was a real sign of something. Um, but, uh, yeah, all of these songs are, you know, think about, you know, it's maybe an overlooked song in their in their category, but I think "Pumping for the Man" is almost like a, a good thesis statement, uh, for, for the the New Hope trilogy, for the the first three albums, because it really just illustrates in this really short, snappy song what is the geography of this place. In which they're taking all of their, uh, all, all of these emotional cues from. You know what is their daily life like? You know, uh, and I don't know if they were a pump and still pumping gas by the time Pure Guava came out. I'm sure this was a job they had, or they knew lots of people who were pumping gas. But uh, think of these lyrics: It's a nine mile walk from the office to the pumps. Sometimes you think you're gonna drop. In the end, you're filthy, dirty, horny, and pissed off. And before you can leave, you gotta sweep the fucking shop. It's a real, real bitch to be working for the band, but shit, I do it well, so what the fuck. I could probably wash dishes at some other fucking dump, but it's all the same to me busting ass to make a buck. <laughs> good ol', a good. Uh, so read them up and stick em, Pump that fucker good. Some woman down on Main Street needs a jump. Get your fingers out and pump some faggots gas and think about how bad New Hope sucks. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think, uh, obviously, the F slur. <laughs> you know, the 90s were a different time, people. The '90s were a different, but also you know that's what it is being a dirtbag. You say the f slur when you're when you're in these fucking tents. Think about how bad New Hope. Get your fingers out of your ass and pump some f slurs gas, and think about how bad New Hope sucks. That's that's it. You know that's wherever you are. Are you in Omaha, Nebraska? Are you in? Are you? Are you in some extant part of Omaha, Nebraska? Are you in fucking like? Are you in Mississauga, Ontario? Are you in uh fucking you know some ho- horrible town in northern Virginia? You know? Are you in some? You know? Are you in uh, Garland, Texas? You know this. This is a universal feel. You know, uh, that's that's what it is. You're just slogging and working and you're just (laughs) you're just thinking about how bad the town you're from is it and you know that that's not like one of the uh, one of the more well-known songs from this album uh probably the the one that's most well-known is don't get too close to my fantasy it probably uh the best song on this album the one that comes up at live sets the most it's a big, uh, you know, talk about getting big and epic, but still, you know, it's not that, the only thing that's big and epic about it is the fact that there's, uh, lots of choral overdubs on Gene. The, the instrumentation is pretty, you know, just basic rock instrumentation, uh, but it eventually ends with that big choral moment. Don't get too close to my fantasy. Don't be afraid to touch the hand of your creator. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's uh, – it's, uh, I, I think in that, in that message, it's funny that they, they, end, they end the album on Poop Ship Destroyer, which is also a staple of their live sets, actually, which is another one of their sort of jam songs that's just sort of like a, a strange loop over and over again. But I think the phrase Poop Ship Destroyer is very funny to them, and it's also very funny to me. What is a Poop Ship? Do you, How do you destroy it? Is are you? Is it the poop ship destroyer or the poop ship destroyer? The destroyer. Either way, either way. Um, but that that's what Ween will do. They'll usually have like a, a big, uh, sort of a big song to be the second song of the album, uh, the and then you know, end it with like a little joke. You know, a little diffusing joke, similar to like Abbey Road ends with the end and then Her Majesty. This is. This is their version of that. Although Pure Guava, you know, it's not as, as serious as they would eventually become. Or it's it, not as demanding a seriousness as uh, it would eventually become. But, uh, you know, fucking... Uh, <laughs> I remember the choruses to all of these. Is it clear in my head? Touch my tootah, smooch, Loving you through it all, bad and good. <laughs> loving you, you know. I, I remember all of these. They They really... Uh, you know, once again, they they have this uh, quality. Now I'm going to compare them to Steely Dan. Whereas Steely Dan has these sort of epic loser characters, the the world of Ween is populated by the people you just meet in New Hope, Pennsylvania. Uh, someone like Big Jim, or someone like the Reggae Junkie Jew. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's bad, but I. Like I said, I I I I am Jewish myself. I know a Jewish fella who was into reggae, and he did a bunch of drugs. He was he was like, and and was talking to pseudo patois, and it was like, it's amazing. You know, there's this guy, and he he repeats over and over again. And we also met this guy in New Hope, Pennsylvania. Um. And I think that's uh, just great. But I, I love this song. The song, one of the, just a fucking gorgeous song. You'd be shocked that they wrote it. It just comes right in the middle of the album. And it's on this, Pure Guava is very unserious, you know, compared to some of the other albums. Like, compared to the pod before it, which actually sort of, because of its dismalness, gets sort of depressing and sluggish at times, almost industrial and fucked up. You know, this album is very, like... Uh, get up and go you know i mean one of the songs is even the going gets tough from the get-go it's very bouncy it's uh you know very very poppy and then in the middle of it comes this shockingly gorgeous ballad sarah this beautiful melody And when i can't i can't do it i'm not doing it well but the point is the point is, it's really fucking beautiful. And they were capable of doing stuff like this, you know, this early into their career, you know, just after two albums. They were still just 22 when this album released. And, uh, very auspicious. Very auspicious indeed. Uh, what's also funny about this album is, um, Don't Get Too Close to My Fantasy. Uh,. <laughs> which uh, was featured in the It's Pat movie <laughs> if anyone remembers it's Pat <laughs> It's Pat was the character played by Julia Sweeney on Saturday Night Live who was uh, the the gag is that they were androgynous and no one could tell what gender they were and they made one of uh, what is supposed to be one of the worst movies of all time in it. Uh, but it had ween in it, <laughs> and I've seen the ween scenes from, from It's Pat, and no other scenes from It's Pat. Uh, do they play, do? no, they play pork roll, egg, and cheese, actually, in It's Pat. I think I had, a. I think they also play Don't Get Too Close to My Fantasy, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, who knows? Who cares? Uh, either way, uh, man, the Robert Christgau review, I mean, I don't know why, why I'm harping on Christgau so much. He, he gave this one a C plus, which was better than the bombs he gave. Negative, Finding the Band wrote their fucked-up songs without thinking and how. He went on a disparaging, to disparagingly call them the kind of rec room giggle fritzes who enjoy a good N-word joke. He actually uses the word <laughs> when they're sure their audience is sophisticated enough to enjoy it. And to be perfectly honest, I don't hear one of those on here. What? What?! what i don't understand his writing i it's what he he seems like he enjoys a good he's the one who enjoys those jokes more than more than he lets on uh they wrote their fucked up songs without yeah the point is they write them without thinking it's a sensuous experience they're channeling the experience of being a dirtbag Something that you doesn't seem like you ever were of being like a dumbass dirtbag. I guess that's why you don't like. You. I mean, you just said sort of it, traits you, you you feel are indicative of dirtbags, and I guess that's bad. But you know, you never were kind of shitty, Robert Christgau. You never were a shitty twenty-year-old. You know, <laughs> you never experienced that. Uh, either way. Um it's funny I only started liking uh, the first 3 albums after I was in my 20s or I'd, had by the age of 22 I started appreciated them more because um <clears throat> my first introduction to WeeN was when I was 16 I believe and I heard Chocolate and Cheese for the first time cuz uh I I knew they had been on South Park You know, I knew that. uh, You know, uh, I I heard the title of the song "Spinal Meningitis" got me down, and that you know instantly, you know flipped a switch in me because I'm a very uh, hypochondriacal person. Hypochondriac? Hypochondriac? I don't know. I am a hypochondriac, and um, so you know, a lot of my childhood was just spent looking up the names of various diseases. And so anything that had, like, a, a specific and horrible disease name in it, I was like, uh oh, this has sort of piqued my interest. And so I listened to the song, and it's, it's horrible. <laughs> it's, it's like a nightmare of a song, Spinal meningitis I just got me down. It's sort of a funk song. Uh, it has the sped-up voice, so Gene is made to sound like a child. I gotta see my spine, Mommy, much worse than last time. <laughs> Shine Almighty Jesus spinal Man and And a great chorus fucking great chorus i love that shit great fucking guitar solo at the end amazing tone dean gets out of it and spinal Man and judges was the first ween song i ever heard and it instantly hooked me because it it was like there was nothing nothing i had ever heard like that nothing as so self-consciously goofy but also sort of terrifying in a way um but of course, you know that's that's only one song on the album because now you know now they're they they have real production value on their albums. They they've taken the studio money, they've taken the label money. They've decided to you know be real studio heads, and they've really uh, the the quality of sound, the quality of studio production between pure guava and chocolate and cheese is insane. You know now they sound like. Uh, you know, now they sound like a real fucking band. They don't just sound like your friend's band that got famous somehow, your your friends from school that got, you know, that, that toured a little. Now they sound like they're like a legitimate fucking band. Not to downplay the old albums, which I think are all, you know, 10 out of 10s for me, but, you know, the uh, part of their appeal is that they are lo-fi, and they sound like something that you could have made. This is something that uh has a lot more polish on it, and they sort of, uh, after the success of Push the Little Daisies, they made a real bid at more MTV success. Voodoo Lady charted really high, uh, not really high, but it charted pretty high on the alt charts, but I think that was their last single to ever chart was Voodoo Lady off of this album. I think the, the, uh, the first single they chose off of this was, is I Can't Put My Finger on It, which is a very bold move because that is a very abrasive song where, where Gina is singing in this really uh, metallic, tinny voice. But, yeah, just uh, the the stylistic variation, because they're really using the studio money, uh, the, the label money well, to amp up the stylistic variation as much as possible. They can hire session musicians now to really make their songs uh, sound different. They can hire uh, uh, people that have different stylistic influences. Um, they can uh, uh, also, uh, you know... <laughs> you know the i keep talking about only their songs that wouldn't fly today the, there's the hiv song where they just go aids and the, then they have a bouncy little melody in between it which i'm sure is fucking hilarious for the people in the 90s <laughs> but I, I i bet many people wouldn't wouldn't appreciate it now or maybe that joke seems a little dated now but that's also what hooked me to this album is when it when I was 16, I had never heard something just as, as stupid as that, where they say AIDS. Dun-dun, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. dun 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 HIV. It still gets... Well, it still gets me. I know I should be sensitive, but it's... I, I'm sorry, I'm a shithead. What do you want? They still preserve that... Uh, they still preserve that sense of humor. But, like, um you know tons of like now now they're like genius melodists at this point they really know how to just they have that mccartney like ability to make these instantly catchy fucking uh, melodies that move around and stick in your head uh spinal meningitis freedom of 76 roses are free baby bitch you know uh, uh Mr. Would You Please Help My Pony, uh, Voodoo, you know, all of these songs have these just like, you hear them once and they have that instantly catchy quality, you know, that same quality that the Beatles had, where it's just, they had this amazing ability to come up with these sort of simplistic but ingenious melodies that, or, or, you know, the Cobain quality, where he could come up with these simplistic but ingenious melodies, which you could you only need to hear once in order to fully internalize. Um, and uh, yeah, they're really coming into their own with that shit here, um, which would uh, later, you know, get even better. Um, but uh, I, while I like this album, uh, it is some this is where their stylistic diversity uh, can sort of negatively affect them because this album doesn't have the same sort of uh, cohesiveness that the lo-fi quality of the previous three albums had. Because now the, their diversity of sound, which has always been their greatest strength, is now slightly working against them here. Because if it, there, there really is no. Um, I I can't really spot out a theme to chocolate and cheese. I can't really ring out a theme to it as well. It just is like, well, we have uh, a bunch of money now, so let's do experiments. Let's let's try and experiment and get much better at our songwriting craft uh, by uh, really closing in on a bunch of different styles um, and trying to... Yeah, th- th- that's basically what it feels. It- this is like we're getting better at our craft album in many different ways, but uh, it is lacking that sort of uh, unified uh, continuity of those previous three albums that they had as a result of their sort of more lower-fi, uh, less expensive, and thus, you know, less varied production production but uh you know let's let's move on from chocolate and cheese to one of their lesser talked about albums which is very funny they released chocolate and cheese which i think up till that point had been their most successful album um i'm sure uh it was helped by its suggestive cover art but then they decided to do a country album which is a very, very very funny move uh, for they, they actually went to Nashville and hired a bunch of country musicians and uh, they they did a, a full album of country songs, which is uh, this is this is ween where the the sort of I, I love this album too, but um, I think here the songs are more pastiche than they are you know, deeply felt emotions on, on you know, Ween's part because I think they're trying to embody these char- uh, cowboy characters. Obviously, you know, there's still lots of the, their, you know, Pennsylvania dirtbag roots in here, uh, which you can hear in, like, uh, Piss Up a Rope or, you know, You Were the Fool or Help Me Scrape the Mucus Off My Brain. You know, y- you, can, you can still hear their sensibilities within the song. But in this case, it really feels like they're trying to do justice to the homage And in doing so, it, it, you know, this is the quality of like humorous music that people point to sometimes where it does have that sort of detachment because, uh, it is doing something that is outside, necessarily outside the emotional capabilities or the stylistic capabilities of the people doing it. Um, you know, I'm sure if they had stuck with the country sound, (laughs) they probably would have. I'm sure if they became Nashville people. They, they would have stuck with it but uh, uh, you know I I listened to this uh, yesterday because it's the one that I've probably it and La Cucaracha are the ones that I've listened to the least and probably the ones that most Ween fans have listened to the least but I I mean even this album you will find uh, people th- this is their favorite Ween album or you know especially uh, I'm sure lots of country fans have, have uh, not lots of country fans <laughs> probably not lots but I'm sure a bunch of a a, a bunch of country people have gotten into Ween because of uh how good this album and and that's the thing they really do pull off the pat. they it does they do sound like a legitimate country band uh it doesn't sound like uh, uh like they're faking it at all they it really does feel like they put in the work and put in the effort to make a really professional sounding nashville album which is why it's funny that they're putting all of this effort into you know songs that are as goofy as Japanese cowboy um uh but uh you know also uh there are uh gestures once again towards deeper emotional qualities on this like in powder blue or fluffy that uh you know would later come to fruition on uh this is this this next album is you know, I said I said the pod is my second favorite album, but it's probably the mollusk than the pod because the mollusk is just back to front, just a fucking wonderful. Every song is good. Uh, every song is immediately catchy. the The diversity is held together by the the stupid nautical concept. I call it stupid but stupid in like the best way possible you know when you do when you a joke is funny to you and you say that's fucking stupid you know you, because you're laughing at how silly it is you say that's fucking stupid and you know it starts out with I'm dancing in the show tonight with this this you know slight vaudeville number with with Weens voice with Junior's voice changing over everybody's all and have I got a and, and it's sort of nauseating and disorienting. From from what I've heard, the the uh uh this album uh, is about gay pirates. Like the concept is actually, I might be wrong about that, but someone told me that once. I think my friend friend of the show Steve might have told me was that this uh, album is about gay pirates. Um. This album also probably contains their uh, most well known song, which is Ocean Man. Uh, of course, it's well known because it was featured in SpongeBob SquarePants, but you hear it once and it's like, I love Ocean Man. It's a great song. Ocean Man, Reckon to the hand, limit to the land. I'm, I'm, I'm singing all the songs instead of playing clips from the music because I don't want to edit it in. And you can hear my my poorly remembered versions of Weed songs instead, me singing it. That's much better. Um, but yeah, I'm dancing in the show tonight. It starts out with a, like a jokey open, but it is like a pretty good intro because it's like, uh, it, it's, it's almost like this is their Sergeant Peppers in a lot of ways, which is funny because their next album we call White Pepper, but it does have that. We're presenting This is the show. There's a big theatrical quality to it. They've long discarded. This is, yeah, we're not in new hope anymore. You know, they have they've been touring for a while, they have money now, you know, they don't, they don't feel like those sort of lost 20 year olds. Now they're sort of in a different place, or they're wanting to explore, you know, something greater. But uh, yeah, the mollusk, I think is interesting. uh, Because I I do think they're like, if it's true, it's about gay pirates, I think there is like a real, you know, there is a queer (laughs) element to this. Obviously, the first track, The mosque, hey the D boy, what you got there? Kind sir, it's a mollusk affair. Did you find it on the sandy ground emulating the ocean sir? Yes, could it, is the mollusk a euphemism for something maybe? Or even, you know, Polka Dot tail, or I'll Be Your Johnny on the Spot or Mutilated Lips or The Golden Eel There's you know, replete with phallic imagery or, you know, Cold Blows the Wind where uh, Giner takes the... It, it's an old poem that they're drawing from, but Jeener singing in his voice takes the perspective of a woman. So, you know, there's, uh, there's queer elements all over this album. Or even, you know, Waving My Dick in the Wind, you know, a song about waving your dick's the only other person is mentioned is uh old jimmy wilson sure enough he's got what it takes uh and uh you know so so i i maybe that's why this was the album that i listened to over and over and over again it it, uh because of the homo the secret homoeroticism of it (laughs) i was drawn to it or i could be absolutely wrong about this so, so disabuse me of this notion if i'm wrong but yeah um It's crazy how every song has an incredible melody. Every song sounds different but still cohesive. Um, It every song is like there there is sort of a seriousness demanded by the enhanced production value and by the fact that you know not every song is so jokey. You know not every song is like a. I'm reading on the uh, the Wikipedia now. Kurt Vile says that Mutilated Lips is his favorite song of all time off of this album, which is a very good choice, Kurt Vile. My estimation of you increased tenfold upon reading this little Wikipedia entry. Uh, And, uh, yeah, even, even like Pink Eye on My Leg, you, you know, has those little barking sounds, but it has those those bubble and synth sounds you know the whole nautical theme of it is like yeah i've i i remember reading the the review of this by mark prindle and this album he also sort of talks about how this album is sort of a prog rock album they're they're trying to do uh they're a big concept album, but in their case, their big concept album is about gay, gay pirates. And um, and uh, he said, he was talking about, there's they're sort of like, there can be an annoying or uh, preening or over or pretentious quality to a lot of prog rock. But, you know, on that first ELO album, you get the song Lucky Man. And that song is just a perfect little fucking pop song that these prog nerds wrote. And he said, this album, The Mollusk, is all Lucky Man. It's just, you know, if a prog rock band could only write those like little tight three minute songs that sometimes they write and are really good at and then arranged it into an effective concept album, this would be it, yeah. And, you know, even like down to the album cover, which was designed by Storm Thorgeson, who you would know for designing the uh, uh, Dark Side of the Moon album cover and many others, you know, th- there is this homage to Prague rock in it. Uh, but, yeah, I think this album is just fucking great. You know, I've every album is 10 out of 10 for me, but this is a 10 plus. This is this one so far is this and the pod are the first 10 pluses. Thus far, that I want to, uh, I I would like to identify as the ones that I find most special to me. There's three of them, I and the the other one is coming up later, um, but uh, yeah, you have the mollusk, and then you so they have nine studio albums, and I think Chocolate and Cheese, Twelve Golden Greats, and the mollusk, uh, they form a neat little trilogy of their own. Um, we might count Craters of the Sack, but that's, you know, that's an mp3-only album. It's good, there's got lots of good stuff on it, but because it's not an official studio album and because I'm already, you know, over on time, I'm going to, I'm going to limit what I have to say. Um, so, uh, the, and so we, we've sort of left, not, I, what this era, the middle era of Ween, I call the pastiche era and uh, that's when they're really, really getting good at that sort of pastiche style that would define them. They've sort of departed from that sensuous, dirtbag, New Hope feeling into, like, what sounds can, wh- what can we do to expand our sonic palate as much as possible? Um, and in doing so, eventually, going from Chocolate and Cheese where they, you know, expanded in sort of this experimental but disconnected way. Um, Twelve Golden Country greats, where they really try and hammer home more emotional uh, or, you know, more serious attempts at this pastiche, and sort of combining the two eventually in the mollusk, you know, to to great effect is... uh, is uh, you know just a, that's that's part of that phase, and you know that's when they were probably making the most money of their career, and they were at the height of their tours and you know, selling selling a lot of records. But um, now we enter the last three albums, what I call the the adult phase. They turn thirty, and they're adults now, <laughs> and sort of their the music reflects that. It becomes sort of slower, uh more languid, more laid back, less edgy, you know, long gone is, you know, that that boognish which with its gritted teeth and its shocking hair. You know, now is uh exactly where I am at or I love you even if you don't There are a few, you know, punk songs on this album like Stroker Ace, but uh, mostly they, they've, and, and how, how they would sustain this quality, there would be like one really up-tempo song on the whole album, and the rest of it would be this, this very, uh, this, this sort of, almost like steely Danish, you know, they hit 30, and, you know, they started making sort of laid-back, jazzy, or almost jazzy, or steely Danish music, so, um, but um, th- this album is, you know, it's called White Pepper, obviously a nod to the White Album and Sgt. Pepper. This was their attempt to create uh, really Beatlesy pop, which is sort of, I wouldn't call this the, the music that they make Beatlesy. There, there, is some, you know, qualities, like Even If You Don't, which had a video directed by, very funny video directed by Trey Parker, um, they have that sort of uh, quarter note piano chug that sort of gets associated with Britpop, but um, even if you don't, it sounds more like a Hall and Oates song, which is which is you know um, doesn't sound necessarily that Beelzy, but uh, the of course their their stylistic diversity is still at play. I think this album also has the uh, same issue as Chocolate and Cheese where. Um, there isn't really as uh, much of a definable theme to it or there's much of a as much of a cohesive theme. There's some absolutely like fucking beautiful tracks on here. The special I l- always love the instrumental Ice castles on this with its weird detuned woogly guitar. I think it's uh, absolutely gorgeous. And you know, some of the songs are like stay forever. Uh, just such a fucking gorgeous, gorgeous melody. Um, I guess f- Falling Out is the one that's, you know, that's that's obviously supposed to be a 1965 John Lennon song. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think, oh man, Stay Forever is so fucking good. I love that song so much. It's so beautiful. And, you know, that's what they would eventually good at is, like, uh, this is the best part of their era, which they would eventually come to on the next album. Just they started writing really beautiful, somehow they started writing beautiful music, you know, as evidenced as far back as uh, uh, Sarah on Pure Guava, they had it in them. But I guess, you know, it takes becoming older and sort of a little softer and having your 20s kick your ass and like just doing a lot of drugs and getting fucked up to just, you know, want to take stuff slower and want to explore that more sort of vulnerable or like beautiful or sad side of yourself. Um, so I, I think that's, uh, something that they really started exploring on this album and, uh, would eventually come to a head with, uh, their next album. My favorite, uh, of Ween's albums, uh, I think the, m- probably it might be my favorite album of all time, but this is like the combination of everything that they've done so far. It has that, Same like dismal quality. Only they're not twenty year olds anymore. They're they're thirty three now, and they're both having like in horror like their relationships are both ending. They're both having horrible drug problems at this time. You know, touring is taking a huge toll on their bodies. You know, they they're both really unhappy when they're making this album. Uh, to from what I've read about it, and it it's like that just getting your ass kicked quality. I even said, you know, Mark Prindle named Quebec the best album of the 2000s when he was on Fox News with Greg Gutfeld, which is it's funny that he was on there. <coughs> um, but he's right, Mark Prindle. I think this is the best album of the 2000s. I think this might have, might be, could be the best album of all time. I would definitely put my hand up and say, what is the best album of all time? I'd be like, maybe it's Reen's Quebec. Maybe that is the best album of all time. But in terms of like... Um, yeah, just just like this, they're genuinely vulnerable now. You know, like it's still through the lens of humor, but more so than ever, they've like dropped the facade, uh, and they're really everything is is. Uh, almost everything is from the heart, you know, I I mean, you know, even it's going to be a long night, the sole punk song on the album, which opens the, and it's very funny that it's going to be a long night opens the album because it's like, Oh, this is, this is going to be a fucked up album. It's going to be like really raw and punk. And you know, no other song is, there's no other song that has that tenor. It's all really downbeat for the rest of it, except for, Hey, there fancy pants right in the middle. Uh, everything is like at a very slow BPM. Um, and it, uh yeah it's really uh it starts taking on almost like this ambient quality or like it has the like depressing quality of the pod as well but it has the production value that they've built up all over these years and uh and that sort of it has its cohesiveness because the album is all about basically a relationship ending um and having a really bad time where a relationship is going to end where it, you know, almost comes full circle from God we, Satan you have, you know, these these uh, high-strung, you know little, like, know-nothing stupid kids you know, pining juvenilely for women now they've experienced love and they're coming out the other end of it uh, you know, having uh, these difficulties these real human, understandable difficulties I think, you know, as all of us Face in our 30s when we get our ass kicked by our 20s, and you know, now we're sort of reckoning with what it's like to really be tired for the first time in our lives like, really, really be tired. Um, and uh, that's what a lot of this album is. You know, it starts off with it's gonna be a long night, which is just. We're going to do drugs. And then it's just a hang, which is a great song to start. Here's the night. It's going to do drugs. And then the next 14 songs are this massive hangover of like, oh, oh, jeez. Oh, fuck. You know, and you know, you have the upbeat song about doing drugs to start us off. And then immediately Zoloft. Give me that Z. O-L-O-F-T. And a lot of this album is about prescription medication. And, you know, the fucked up effects of prescription medication, happy colored marbles. This is like, this is a very uh, SSRI's album, which is, yeah you know, also intimately relatable for a lot of us who got to take those goddamn meds. Yeah, if the other, you know, if the, this is sort of an answer to the pod in a way, because it's just as dismal, whereas the pod was about doing dirtbag drugs, this is about doing drugs your therapist prescribes, your psychiatrist prescribes you, because you got fucked up, you fucked up your dopamine doing too many drugs while touring, and now you're all weird and sad, and you're sort of weird and maladjusted as an adult, um, And uh, but uh, yeah, and so that manifests in having all of these really slow, um, ambient sounding um, textural songs, you know, interspersed throughout these more traditional songs with with like uh, melodies that move around a lot more. You'll have stuff like Among His Tribe or like Captain or uh, uh, Alkin Road where they're very um moody and spacey and they uh ween is demanding you to take them seriously really in a way that they, they never had before and it's funny that they have the confidence to do this now. and this is the only album they really ever do it on like they have they have songs in which they demand seriousness on some previous albums but they really demanded a lot more on this album like there are songs on here which just don't even have, like, a a Joker quality to them. Like, Road, Argus, If You Could Save Yourself, I Don't Want It, Chocolate Town, Captain, you know, uh, Happy Colored Marbles, Tried and True, so many people. These are, like, desperately honest, harrowing songs about losing your mind while everything is falling apart around you and the fucking pills don't help. And And who among us has not experienced that? And... You know, you talk about how the pod is like one of the best uh, emotional sense memories of somebody being a fucked up dirtbag in their early 20s and having uh, the responsibility of their life ahead of them, you know, daunt on them and make them act in fucked up ways. This is this is perfectly the sound of being in your 30s and having like your first attempts at adulthood sort of fall apart. And, you know, where are you left after that? And that's why I, you know, I think this album is great. You know, it's a, it's a breakup album, basically, uh, and one of the finest there is. As, fi- as good as Blood on the Tracks, as good as Sea Change, it deserves to be considered to be one of the finest albums of all time, Quebec. I can't say enough good things about it. And, of course, we have to talk about uh, the, the Ween Studio album story, uh, doesn't end with a bang, but with sort of a a minor way, you know, I like La Cucaracha. La Cucaracha, I should say, is a fine album. It's a good album, but it's definitely does not reach the heights of Quebec. It feels, um, actually, it feels a lot more like Shinola, uh, in some ways, which is their Outtakes album, which I didn't talk about, an album which I also love, um, but um the shinola songs uh, feel are very fragmentary almost feel like high quality versions uh, studio versions of god ween satan songs and i guess that's sort of what la cucaracha feels like as well the songs feel very fragmentary it's very funny how like their their albums almost mirror each other back to front and they pivot on 12 golden country greats which is like no nothing else in the ween catalog but the mollusk and chocolate and cheese mirror each other. Pure guava and white pepper mirror each other, and you know, so does La Cucaracha. It does feel like ne- they've they've come out the other end, uh, and they're back at this sort of fragmentary, sort of high strung style. Um, and uh, they they use a lot of their, the synth work on this album is a little grating. I, I gotta say. I think they, they probably weren't making as much money at this time, which is funny because it, it's interesting. This is their highest-charting album of all time. It got to 16, 69 in yeah, yeah. the U.S. Billboard 100, which is the highest-charting position of any album of theirs, which is crazy to me because uh, this, is among Ween fans, is generally not their most well-received album. But... Um, uh, You know, and it came out in 2007 when, you know, charting, charting higher meant less than it had in the past. But still, people were still buying albums, at least more than they do now in 2007. But hey, this, this, this has lots of uh, fucking tracks that fuck on it. You know, it's got Blue Balloon, it's got Object, it's got My Own Bare Hands it's got the fruit man which is the okay let me say something about the fruit man this that's quite possibly the most racist song that we never did and it came right on the last album (laughs) like and in 2007 which was like three years away before you really couldn't get away with that stuff anymore i don't talk about the fruit man anymore but i was listening to it yesterday i was like ah this is it's it's, wow (laughs) what are they gonna do um it has a big epic jam at the end and woman and the man and then has their single your party which is okay um you know i think uh i would have chosen my own bare hands to be the single that's that's like the really cool i like shame maker as well but yeah yeah just a fun and sort of like this album really doesn't have anything holding it together i do not know what the concept of this is is album at all you know i, I don't think there is anything but that sort of once again brings it in line you know you sort of you exhaust that potential uh with uh quebec which is you know if you just made one of the greatest albums of all time of course it's going to be hard to follow it up uh of course ween fans since 2007 we've we've wanted another album uh, the last ever Ween material was released was a demo off of this album. I just think DC won't do you no good or something to that effect came out in 2010 and we've had, uh, 13 years without any ween material. They've been touring. They got back together. They, they ended stuff for a while. Uh, Gina put out some solo material, which is pretty good, you know? Um, but, uh, who, who knows? Maybe they got it in them. Maybe they don't either way. You know, even La Cucaracha, which is probably their least well-received album, is still pretty fucking great. You know? You know, I think... uh, You know, I said uh, all of these albums are 10 out of 10. La Cucaracha may be like a 9 out of 10 for me. But, uh... Yeah. Fucking... None of the albums are bad. Can you think of another album... band that released 9 albums and none of them are bad? That's crazy. That's an amazing fucking... What an amazing thing they did, you know? I, I am in awe of their ability um, to just be so fucking spontaneous and creative and filled with humor and to uh, really articulate what it's like for someone like me to just be living a stupid, quiet, mundane existence in a lonely place. Because it is through the lens of humor. And I love you, Ween. You have made my life so much better, and I hope you will love Ween as well.